This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by a absolutely fascinating emergency room physician, and she's a lot more than that. She's also with Dr. Megan Ranney. Uh, Dr. Ranney is both the director at Brown Lifespan Center for Digital Health. She's also the associate dean of the Brown School for Public Health. Uh, we're going to talk to Megan today about uh, ER physicians, how that world has changed for ER physicians over the last several years, what she's seen with COVID-19, talk to her a little bit about digital health, uh, and, and, and we're most focused on going into 2022. Dr. Randy, can you take a moment, introduce yourself, and tell us what you're seeing currently with COVID-19 uh, and whether you're starting to think about the Omicron variant and so forth, and I'm probably pronouncing that, that incorrectly, but, but, but take a moment and tell us about yourself and what you're seeing currently. Absolutely. So as you said, I am a practicing emergency physician in addition to my kind of research and academic titles, um, and COVID has been top of mind for all of us for the last year and a half. I feel like every time, you know, we start to think that we've made it through to the other side, something new happens, alpha variant, delta variant, and now, of course, Omicron. Um, but the reality remains, Scott, that, that what is really happening is that unvaccinated people are getting sick. Um, those of us who've been vac fully vaccinated, particularly those of us who've gotten boosters, are much less likely to get seriously ill. And I, you know, really over the last six to nine months have uh, not admitted to the hospital anyone um, who'd received that full series of, of immunizations. So this disease, for better or for worse, remains primarily one of the unvaccinated. And I'm suspecting that's going to be true for Omicron as well. Um, the bright side is that more of our country here in the U.S. and more of the world is vaccinated than ever before. And our kids are finally getting the chance to get their vaccines. Um, but it certainly remains a disease that is scary and has really high morbidity and mortality um, for those unvaccinated groups. Thank you very, very much. And, and again, a, a healthy sort of endorsement. Everybody should get vaccinated, get their boosters and so forth. And let's hope it helps against Delta, Alpha, Omicron and every other variant. We might be getting boosters for a long time to come, but we'll see. It'll be OK. <laughs> you, you have a couple fasting roles in terms of digital health. What are you watching? What are you most focused on in digital health? Then I want to talk to you about being associate dean. And really the same question. What are you most focused on as associate dean of, you know, in, in the public health school? Talk to us about those yeah. two things. Absolutely. So in digital health, the area that I am most excited about is really digital tools for mental health. Um, it's something that I've worked in for a long time, and I feel like the pandemic has just highlighted for so many of us both the degree to which behavioral health and mental health problems are prevalent, sadly, um, among society, and the utter shortage of qualified mental health care providers, particularly um, for folks who are non-English speaking, um, folks who are uh, a minority demographic group. Um, and I think the digital tools have a great opportunity to close those divides and to provide more equitable care. But, but talk about that on the mental health side. I mean, the behavioral health crisis in our country, it's worth sort of quietly ballooning for years. And then obviously this past year with the pandemic, everything else, the, the, the intense conflict in our country, the red versus blue, lockdowns, COVID-19, uh, stresses over the economy, the haves doing well, the have nots doing poorly, but even the haves, everybody's got mental health issues. I mean, how do you sort of deal with that in a country where we were already significantly short on psychiatrists 
and very short on all kinds of other behavioral health. How do we start to deal with these issues where there is, you know, all of us have, have behavioral health issues of some sort. I mean, you would, it's like saying, oh, there's a perfect family. We all know there's no such thing. We all have behavioral health issues of some sort. And, and it's a matter of how, you know, what degree, but we all have, I mean, at least I speak for myself, we all need help often or periodically. Um, but, but how do we deal with some of that, given the, the intense – I keep on using the crazily amount of shortages, but it seems like such a bad word to use in the discussion of mental health, so I won't use that word. But these insignificant in, in shortages of mental health and behavioral health you know, staff, how, how do we start well, to deal I, with I, that? Yeah, I, I really think that that's why technology and, and digital health is so important. There is no way that we can create an adequate workforce at the speed that we need it. And so technology lets us augment uh, existing workforce. It allows us to provide preventive care and stepped care um, in a way that reaches those who may be so far away from existing behavioral health care providers, either because of lack of insurance, because of geography, because of language. The best digital health products that I've seen really do a great job of providing high quality, both crisis prevention and therapeutic care. And I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, Crisis Text Line, which is a nonprofit that I serve on the data ethics board of, has been doing incredible work nationwide to provide free 24-7, 365 um, access to trained volunteers who help walk people in crisis, whether it's from depression, um, a crisis around sexual or gender identity, a crisis around exposure to violence. It helps walk them through uh, what they're experiencing and helps link them to resources, totally for free. An incredible resource and only possible through the power of technology. There are also programs that provide chatbots um, based off of analyses of you know, millions of interactions between therapists and clients that help provide an approximation of good psychotherapy, good cognitive behavioral therapy for lower acuity patients. And then of course, there's the telehealth programs. There are advanced interactive um, daily assessments combined with tailored responses that are being developed or that already exist. I think the big challenge there again to me is making sure that they have evidence and making sure that they are culturally competent, that they are developed in a way that uh, lessens the digital divide rather than worsening the divide around mental health care. It shouldn't just be available to those of us who have a little discretionary income, but it should be designed in a way that it's available to those um, across the country and is available to those who may not have access to broadband or 5G. So that's programs like Crisis Text Line, the text-based interventions are really gonna be critical. And it, 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 it's so important, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned the issue of economics. If you're affluent or in this have category that owns assets that did well in the stock market the last year or did well in real estate the last year, like half the country did well, the other half of the country suffered, you have the money to pay for a therapist if you need it. You have the money to pay for social work if you need it. If you don't, it, it's almost always not covered by insurance. And so you really uh-huh. go without unless you could come up with lower cost alternatives. Uh, and we know regardless of socioeconomic status, everybody needs uh, some coaching, some thinking, some mental health help of all kinds and all sorts. I mean, it just, it's all with the board what people need, but we all need it regardless of socioeconomic status, but it's really not available often if you don't have the money for it. 
That's exactly right. And, you know, there's a few things that we need to do to address that. The first is, again, creating these lower tech, but still digitally informed or delivered interventions so that you don't need to, you know, own a wearable or an Amazon Alexa in order to access high quality tools. The second thing is making sure that the programs that are available, both in Google Play and in Apple um, iTunes Store, really do have good evidence behind them that you're not accessing programs that don't work. And then the third thing, and with that evidence, um, hopefully getting some insurance companies to step up and pay for it, right? Prevention um, is worth a lot, and insurance companies are recognizing the impact of our behavioral health crises, not just on people's mental well-being, but also on their physical well-being. I can tell you as an ER doc that people with depression and anxiety are less likely to be compliant with their diabetes meds, less likely to manage to effectively lose weight, more likely to end up in my ER with trauma um, and a variety of other problems. So behooves insurance companies to start covering it. The last part to me is, again, around making sure that it's available, not just in English, but also in Spanish and other commonly spoken languages, and that it's available um, and advertised to folks who may not know to go looking for it. And, and so, so many issues on access, and right, we all know, even if it's available virtually, if your webinar, if your web, uh, if your internet doesn't work well, it doesn't, it's not really available, uh, and 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 so forth. And there's still so many of those challenges throughout our country, both urban and rural. Take one moment. We've only got a couple more moments today, uh, Dr. Ranny, but would love to have a lot longer to visit with you on a podcast again because just brilliant and thoughtful. Talk about the role of associate dean of the public health school, and what are the big priorities there? What do you look at there? So this is uh, such an exciting role. You know, I've run our Center for Digital Health for a bit now, um, and as I just described, so excited about the potential. But this associate dean role goes a little further, really helps me work with my faculty, students, and the leadership here at Brown to reimagine what public health scholarship, education, and practice should look like over the next quarter century. I and our dean, uh, Ashish Shah, have really been on the forefront of the COVID-19 response nationwide, whether it's through my work with nonprofits or uh, most of our work on the news media. And as we've been doing that, we've been exposed firsthand to both the strengths and the weaknesses of our system. And so I'm so excited in this associate dean role to help work with a really brilliant um, faculty to help increase the impact of their work to allow us to respond nimbly to these public health crises that we're facing, not just across the country, but across the world, and to help think differently about who should be doing this in the future, you know, training the workforce, the students um, who are going to change the face of public health for the next 25 years. Dr. Rennie, you mentioned a couple different things, and there's so many interesting subjects that come out of this. Like, why is it that magnificent leaders end up double-hatting and running two or three different roles? Because that could have leaders and they get things done and well-respected, but that's a different issue at a different time. You mentioned strengths and weaknesses of the system. Take one moment on, we hear so much about the negatives of our system, but, but in the, in the, in the, on the other hand, 330 million people in our country aging, uh, getting older, uh, and growing population, and our systems do so many things well as well. Take a moment on some of the positives of the American health system. 
Oh, gosh, there are a lot. And I will be the first to criticize um, all the problems that we have. But we do do a good job, a great job, I will say, of providing acute emergent care. Um, our technology systems, although they have a lot to be desired, are better than most countries. We have electronic health records in almost every healthcare practice across the country, and we still need to <laughs> make that data shareable and interoperable, but um, it's, it is there, so we've made great progress. Um, and we have a history of really uh, exciting partnerships between government, academics, and private business. And I think we saw the best of that during COVID-19, whether it was things like the collaboration between my own state, um, Rhode Island, and companies like Salesforce and CBS to stand up new programs in response to COVID-19, really in a matter of days to weeks, um, whether it was some of the work that was done around PPE production and distribution, or of course the manufacturing and distribution of vaccines. Those things were possible in the United States um, because of these strengths of the way our system was set up. Although again, there certainly are weaknesses that need to be addressed. Plenty of weaknesses, and we could certainly have another discussion on that. But it's also <laughs> a great change to the system. We don't have enough physician and nurses, but those that we have, well, imperfect are largely incredible. The, the workforce in our country, the physicians, nurses, clinicians, everybody that treats the patient, treats people in our country, imperfect, but largely magnificent. Is that a fair statement? And we need more of them. I, oh, God, we need more of them. I mean, you know, I spent last weekend working in the ER, um, and I will tell you, we do not have enough nurses, techs, respiratory therapists, much less social workers or docs. Um, and there's a reason that folks want to come and work here in the States. It, we do provide amazing acute care. I look forward to creating a stronger preventive care system as well. Um, but but our, our clinicians are second to none. Dr. Rani, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. I can't wait to get a chance to visit with you in more depth on a couple of these subjects. What a pleasure. I'm so glad you referred to us. What a pleasure to visit with you. Again, Dr. Megan Rani, she helps run the, the, the digital health program at Brown Lifespan um, and, and also the associate dean of the public health program. What an amazing leader. Dr. Rani, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a joy to speak with you, Scott.